beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, right before our text, we hear the call to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And we focused on that this morning. And we saw that this call to be strong or to become strong is important. We wouldn't need to be told to be strong in the Lord if we were already strong in ourselves. Our problem is that we are weak and vulnerable. And this is not just a matter of physical weakness as mortal human beings. We aren't emotionally or spiritually strong either. Ever since Adam and Eve's fall into sin, we have become vulnerable in many ways. We live in a broken world. Things can happen to us that are more than we can handle. Think of diseases or accidents. There are also things that people do to us. And next to that, remember that we often harm ourselves through negative patterns of behavior as can be seen, for example, in addictions. People sometimes say, you are your own worst enemy. And there is some truth to that. Everyone has certain struggles. Some weaknesses are more evident than others. In our text, the Apostle Paul urges us to look beyond ourselves and even beyond people who might seek to harm us. He wants us to understand that we are also vulnerable in another way. Our worst enemy is the devil and the fallen angels on his side. That's another strong reason why we need protection. And the best protection of all is the protection that God gives. And this brings us to the theme for the sermon in this worship service. Put on the whole armor of God. And we'll focus on two points. First of all, it's needed. And secondly, it's sufficient. Put on the whole armor of God. First of all, it's needed. And secondly, it's sufficient. We're in a spiritual struggle. And the struggle, as we saw this morning, has ancient roots. The Bible traces the roots back to paradise. Satan caused Adam and Eve to fall into sin. They followed the devil's suggestion to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did this even though God had warned them, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. By eating of the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve broke their bond with God. And this had an immediate spiritual impact on them. They hid themselves from God's presence when they heard him come into the Garden of Eden. Their lives would have ended right there if God had not decided to show them mercy. Adam and Eve had done the will of the devil. They had placed themselves in his camp. God, however, wasn't content to leave things that way. He put enmity between the devil on the one hand and the woman and her offspring on the other. And this is how a struggle began that has gone on for thousands of years. There are now two groups of people, those on the side of the devil and those who live in a covenant with God. And the tension between these two groups is not always visible, 
but it's there. Know your enemy is an ancient saying. It certainly applies when dealing with the spiritual struggles that we go through in life. Paul is helping us by identifying who our archenemy is. Our struggle is ultimately not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's more going on than meets the eye in this world. There are dark spiritual forces at work. It takes faith to see this. Unbelievers don't get it. They look at the unrest in this world and can't figure out what is really going on. They don't take the work of God or of the devil into account. And as a result, they're blind to the spiritual dimensions of history. They don't understand that you're either for God or against him. No neutrality is possible. There's no middle ground. Whoever is not on God's side will easily become the pawn of the devil. And without the absolute standard of God's word, people tend to go with the flow, whatever is popular. And we see the results around us, evident in alarming shifts in the moral landscape of this world. Despite advances in science and technology and education, things are going downhill instead of getting better. There's nothing new under the sun. The Apostle Paul already wrote about the corruption of people in his days, corruption that has only increased in the course of time. Evil has a tendency to multiply wherever it takes root. In 2 Timothy 3, the verses 2 through 5, we read Paul's description of the times of difficulty that will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And doesn't the deterioration of society that Paul described sound familiar? He's describing what we see. In our text, Paul describes the spiritual dimensions behind this and how to deal with that. People often overlook the spiritual dimensions of events. Murders already happen on such a regular basis that they don't attract much attention unless something unusual happens. Mass shootings, for example, often receive more media attention. And then especially, journalists sometimes focus attention on the motives of the shooter. They lift up the veil on something of the evil behind this comes to light. Our Lord Jesus exposed the murderous intentions of Jewish leaders who opposed him. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Remember that the devil is a murderer. Right from the beginning, it was clear that his intent was to lead people to their deaths. And those who follow him place themselves under his influence. Throughout the centuries, the devil has been very successful in leading people to hate each other and to act on their hatred, even to the point of taking lives. When murders take place, whether targeting individuals or entire populations, realize that you are seeing evidence of the work of the devil. He's behind that. Sometimes this is more evident than at other times. On October the 1st, 2015, a 26-year-old man armed himself and went into an Umpqua Community College classroom in the state of Oregon. And there he lined people up and asked them one by one if they were Christians. He killed those who said yes and shot those who said no in the legs. According to one report, the incident left at least 10 dead and 7 wounded. After shooting at police officers and a state trooper who arrived at the scene, he committed suicide. And what happened triggered a round of debate in the United States. It's a debate that surfaces again and again when mass shootings take place. Those opposing gun ownership argue for tighter restrictions on guns and more comprehensive background checks. Others argue that background checks won't prevent shooters from acquiring weapons. What is often missing in such debates? Not enough attention is being paid to the spiritual aspects of such tragic events. The one who killed those Christians in Oregon, for example, described his own religious view as pagan, Wiccan, not religious, but spiritual. In a note that he left behind, he reportedly stated that he had no girlfriend and no life and would be welcomed in hell and embraced by the devil. The problem with such shooters is not in the first place that they acquired guns. The problem is that their hearts became so filled with hatred that they became murderers. And when people have that mindset and don't have a gun, they will easily find other ways to kill people. Efforts to limit or even outlaw criminal behavior only deal with symptoms. What's the problem? The problem lies in the hearts of people. Worldly approaches to dealing with the problem of sin have very limited value. Sin is a spiritual issue, and it plagues all of us. It can only be dealt with effectively through the Word and Spirit of God. Any country that has banned prayer and Bible reading from public schools should therefore not be surprised when the devil gains ground. Our God opens our eyes to recognize who our spiritual enemies are. He graciously grants us strength and wisdom in our struggles through Jesus Christ. 
You won't find the protection that you need outside of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world to rescue lost sinners. He equips us to face our mortal enemy, the devil. He equips us through his word and spirit to enable us to fight the good fight of the faith. It's foolish to trust in your own strength to resist the power of the devil. Think of how the Apostle Peter overestimated his own steadfastness. We read in Matthew 26, verse 31, that Jesus told his disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. That same night, Jesus was captured, and all the disciples left him. They fled. And later, Peter gathered some courage and went to the courtyard where Jesus was being held. But all it took was a servant girl who said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. And Peter began with the first of what would become three denials. The more afraid he became, the more vehemently he denied knowing Jesus Christ, swearing an oath and even invoking a curse on himself. Don't look down on Peter. His fall is described in Scripture to warn us what can happen to us. Peter learned his lesson the hard way and wrote later on in 1 Peter 5, the verses 8 to 9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Satan can mobilize the world to surround us with temptations as well as to threaten us. He has shown his power from paradise onward. He enslaves people with the chains of self-deceit and sin. Chapter 12 of the book of Revelation gives us a symbolic description of the initial activity of the devil. He is described as a great red dragon whose tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. He was conceited enough to think that he could fight against God, and he managed to get a host of angels to side with him. He forms a direct threat to the woman who symbolizes the church, the people of God, from the Old Testament onward. The woman gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And that's a reference to the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. We then read about how Michael and his angels fought in heaven against the dragon and his angels until they were defeated and thrown down to the earth. 
Toward the end of Revelation 12, we read that the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Hold on to that thought. The dragon is engaging the people of God in a battle. The devil and the angels with him have a powerful ally in the sinful desires of our flesh. Humanly speaking, it's much easier to give in to sin than to resist it. The spiritual battle that we're in is fierce. We'll have no hope of victory without Jesus Christ on our side. And the good news is that he is willing to strengthen us and provide us with what we need to protect ourselves and overcome the power of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. We certainly need that armor. Thank God that it's also sufficient. Let's focus on this in our second point. We need to know Jesus Christ and embrace the truth that is in him. Only Jesus Christ can give us the spiritual protection and renewal that we need. Only he can renew our minds and our hearts. And trusting in him, we will receive strength to break with sin and to live for God. Then we will be enabled to respond to the command that Paul has already given earlier in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, the verses 22 to 24. There he writes of the need to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting on the new self is linked to the command, put on the whole armor of God. Putting on the armor of God requires submitting to him as people who are linked to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Only people who trust in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, are able to put on the spiritual armor that Paul is talking about. And this becomes clear when we compare our text with Romans 13, the verses 12 through 14, for example. There Paul urges his readers, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? He clarifies that by writing, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is ultimately our armor, our protection. But to be protected by him, we need to turn away from the sinful desires of the flesh. Paul links such desires to things like orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, as well as quarreling and, and jealousy. You can't put on spiritual armor for protection and hold on to sinful desires at the same time. That's 
self-defeating behavior. Jesus Christ can truly set us free from all the power of the devil and keep us free. He enlightens our minds through his word and spirit. He transforms our hearts and enables us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We learn to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and to live by the Spirit. This was the goal of our Savior, who, as Paul puts it in Titus 2, verse 14, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Keep those two key words in mind. Redeem and purify. Jesus Christ paid for our redemption with his precious blood. And as a result, our sins are forgiven. But there's more. He gave himself to purify us for himself. In other words, he has not only dealt with the problem of our sins... He has also dealt with the problem of our sinfulness. He enables us to become willing and able to resist sin. He now equips us to do good works. Isn't that amazing? There are things we need to be aware of before we will be able to act effectively. First of all, we need to become aware of the schemes of the devil that Paul refers to in verse 11. And the Greek word translated as schemes shows us that the devil is very methodical. There is a system to the crafty ways in which he seeks to overcome God's people. He is a master strategist. Ministers of the gospel, but also Christian historians, can help you to see how God's people have been led astray in ages past. And we can learn from that. There are recognizable patterns in how the devil attacks either the doctrines or the life of the church. And studying church history can help us to become more discerning. If we are unwilling to learn lessons from the past, we will repeat the mistakes that people have made in the past. It's also important, beloved, to pay attention to the ebb and flow of ideas in society. As Christians, we should be socially aware before becoming socially engaged. We need to become sensitive to the spiritual undercurrents and developments in this world. After all, events are being orchestrated by the devil and his angels. Behind flesh and blood earthly rulers, we need to recognize the work of the demonic spiritual forces of evil. Darkness and secrecy are their tools. And such forces can only be counteracted by the power of God's word and spirit. If we are to be like salt and light in the world, we need to learn how to have an impact. Be prepared to use the light of the word of God to evaluate and expose positions that people hold. And that requires studying the word in order to know it. 
But its truths need to be treasured in our hearts as well as in our minds. Otherwise, we will only have the appearance of godliness while denying its power. Be sure to put on the whole armor of God. That's the armor that God provides. Only he can provide true protection against the forces of the devil. Too often, people have equipped themselves with substitutes in their struggles against evil. Think of the various rituals and ceremonies in the Roman Catholic Church. Church functionaries dress themselves in colorful robes. Church members light candles for the dead, recite Hail Marys, and pray to the saints. Man-made rituals can't protect us against the onslaughts of the devil. Only the spiritual armor which God provides can do that. But for it to be sufficient, we need to make use of all of it. Study the whole word of God. Listen to its promises as well as its demands. Hear the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Also be prepared to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. The devil can mislead people into thinking that going through the motions of religion is enough. The purpose of divinely ordained practices such as prayer can become twisted. The Lord already made that clear in Old Testament times. Sacrifices and prayers became meaningless when brought without repentant hearts. People thought they were safe as long as they followed certain rituals. And the Lord warned his people that even obediently observing rituals, bringing sacrifices to him, wasn't enough if their hearts weren't involved. And similarly today, coming to church and giving regular voluntary contributions do not in themselves guarantee salvation. Even thorough knowledge of the Bible can't save us if it isn't combined with humble faith. We can't make ourselves worthy of salvation or save ourselves in any way. We need to trust in Jesus Christ wholeheartedly and exclusively. We need to become active in the spiritual battle. And this involves our minds, our hearts, and our wills. Living as followers of Jesus Christ obliges us to examine ourselves. Do you examine your own life to see what your weaknesses are? How would the devil try to attack you and to lead you astray? What steps does the Word of God direct you to take to protect yourself? Are you responding to this in a positive way? Are you increasing in true faith and fellowship with Christ? Where there's an increase in true faith, there will also be the obedience of faith. When we live in fellowship with Christ, abiding in him like branches in the vine, there will be much fruit. Beloved, abiding in Christ isn't just a solitary activity. It's something we do together. 
All the verbs used in our text occur in the plural form. In other words, every command is not being addressed to us as solitary people, but as members of the body of Christ. Resting in him, we find security. Listening to his word, we learn to equip ourselves and each other. Beloved, be strong in the Lord and stand firm together. As Christians, we're anointed with the Holy Spirit to be prophets, priests, and kings. Are you fulfilling that calling? As prophet, are you confessing the name of Jesus Christ? Do people know that you are a Christian? As a priest, are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him? As a king, are you prepared for spiritual battle? Fight against sin and the devil in this life. It's the good fight of the faith. With Jesus Christ as our commander, we will emerge as victors. We will reign with him eternally over all creatures. Amen.